0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Yes, indeed. Bonnie in the house. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited. This is the launch of season seven. That's right. Seven years of this wonderful series, Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. So welcome, everybody, to season seven. This is consistently one of our most popular series with listeners all over the world. So we thank you for your loyal. Listenership, wherever you are. We don't know who you are. We don't collect your information, but we know that you eat up this information. So thank you very much for your loyal listenership. Let's start off with the buzz. Let's see what I've got a quote here from Josh Lovejoy. The quote is something I found on medium.com a while ago. And listen to this. He says, as machine learning... Starts to power more and more products and experiences. Let's step up to our responsibility to stay human-centered. That's the key to today's show. Human-centered. Find the unique value for people and make every experience great. So we're talking about our topic today is... AI is for humans, and this is part two. We did the part one of this show in October of 2018, and we've invited the same panel back. Let me continue with my intro here. We're already deep into the era of Internet of Things, that's the topic of this show. Machine learning, predictive analytics. You all know the disruptive technologies that aren't really new anymore. They've disrupted business and processes. But beyond disrupting business models and creating new processes, these technologies have had and continue to have a huge impact on the humans who use them. That's us. But unless tech innovators take a user-centric approach... They're risking piling up a bank all warehouse of technical prototypes, woohoo, that don't work for humans and therefore will not deliver real business value and that's why they develop these technologies is to deliver value we're people we need value we need to be able to use them you all know you've run headlong into apps that don't work i'm not going to make any comments here because today is february 4th 2020 and you need you need them to take you into account the designers the testers so we have three experts on the show today we're bringing them back as i said from october 2018 part one i'm just going to read their names And then I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So in a moment, we're going to hear from Naeem Zafar, who has been teaching at the University of California, Berkeley, since 2005. He'll tell us what he's doing now. We're also going to hear from Mashoud Alam, who's a Senior Director of Product Management at SAP Ariba. And we're also welcoming back Adam Mardini, a Global Innovation Executive at SAP. Gentlemen, you're around the world. Welcome to our show today. Why don't we start out with Naeem. Please introduce yourself briefly. Bring us up to date on what you've been up to in your work since we spoke to you last.
2: Sure. Thanks, Mani. Well, I'm uh, a Silicon Valley native in the sense that I've been here 40 years. I was born in Pakistan, studied electrical engineering, been starting companies, doing my company number seven right now. Mm. It's called Telesense, and we are using artificial intelligence and IoT to disrupt the agriculture post-harvest grain industry.
1: Fascinating. And do you make user-centric, human-centric a priority when you're testing what your company does? Tell us Naeem.
2: Absolutely, because we are going after a market which few people dare to touch. We've heard of white-collar workers, then there are blue-collar workers. We're going after no-collar workers. So no-collar workers, everything has to be designed around those humans who are not technology-savvy yet can benefit from this technology. So we are totally all over
1: this. I have never heard of no-collar workers. That's very, very interesting. Is that a term you coined, or is that something that, that we should know about?
2: That's a term I coined, and I've been using it, and people seem to get it.
1: I, that's very interesting. I just looked it up, and, and Wikipedia actually has an article called The Designation of Workers by Collar Color. Wow. And here's another one, uh, the rise of the no-collar job, what schools need to know for managing virtual workers and robots that make up the no-collar workforce. That's absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. There's there's even an article from 1983 that says, many workers in the U.S. now belong to the no-collar class. They do jobs that are difficult to classify. I love this. Thank you, Naeem, for bringing this to our attention. Uh, we, I think we need to do a show on AI and the no-collar worker. But maybe maybe we're <laughs> yep. doing that right now. And thank you for that spark of creativity. Thank you. And let's move around the table to Mashoud Allah. Mashoud, welcome back. Hope you've been well. Why don't you tell us what you've been up to?
3: Well, thank you very much, Bonnie, for inviting me back. Uh, if you remember, last time we spoke, I was... Uh, driving digital transformation efforts at uh, some of our top customers. Uh, Since then, there's been uh, two uh, updates in my career. Uh, One is I published a book um, around how to use design thinking to transform ideas into businesses. Design thinking, as you know, is a human-centered approach to gain empathy with the users uh, so that when we design solutions using technology, we keep the user front and center. And the second update is that I joined SAP Ariba about five mm-hmm. plus months back to help Ariba's transformation. Ariba, as uh, some of the listeners may know, is the world's largest commerce platform where more than uh, $3 trillion worth of commerce happens annually. And I am responsible for their application strategy and driving intelligence into the application using um, machine learning, AI, NLP and uh, all the other great technologies that we have.
1: That is exciting. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I will uh, confess that when I was speaking with uh, people behind this show, the show, the sponsor team who put this topic together, they were thinking, what are we going to do to launch season seven? And uh, seven seems to be a lucky number for all of us on the show. I have a feeling because it is for me. And I said to them, why don't you bring back a topic that was one of our most popular from last year? Well, they went all the way back to October 2018 and said, this is a great topic, Let's bring this panel back, and here you all are, and, and I'm, I'm very grateful. So nice to know where your career has taken you, Masoud, and we're very honored to have you back today, and thank you for the, the discussion about Ariba. We appreciate that. Adam Mardini, I think you're in Japan. I know you're in Japan. I know we've called you. We're delighted to have you on. I have no idea what time of the day or night it is, but Adam, why don't you update us on what you've been up to since we last spoke to you well, about a year and a quarter ago?
4: Sure, actually, uh, let me start by uh, just more correction. I'm right now in Singapore, but I live okay. in Japan since last time okay. we talked. Uh, I moved to Japan. This is one of the largest economies in the world, and I do help customers, especially Fortune 1000, achieve their uh, KPI, their objective, the vision of the CEO, as well as the C-level into getting the cutting edge technologies uh, such as AI, ML, blockchain, and so forth, and achieve the experience economy and the uh, data management suite, the intelligent enterprise, and try to get them to be more competitive and innovate. And before I go on, I just want to say hi to my colleagues in Japan. I would like to say, Kambawa Nihon no tomodachi.
1: You want to translate, please, Adam? What was that?
4: That was uh, good evening, uh, my Japanese
1: friends. I love that. Thank you. I want you to. Can you teach me how to say hello in Japanese? Just hello.
4: Sure. It depends on which time of day. So uh, in the morning okay. we say uh, oh, hi, gozaimasu." In the afternoon, where we say that uh, "how are you," and uh, in the in the afternoon or, or the evening, that's when we say "kombawa." Uh, So, it it depends on the time of the day, but uh, the most common is uh, konnichiwa, which is how are you, and that's usually from 10 a.m. until the uh, the late afternoon.
1: Well, I'm safe saying konnichiwa. Did I say that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, good. And I just learned perfect. Japanese today. Thank you. Thank, thank you so am i might correct you. <laughs> thank you. You, you. you can. You're the only one on the call who can, I have a feeling. That's very interesting. I'm learning. I took French in high school, just a sidebar, and I just am forming my own. I'm a drummer now, and I'm forming my own Latin music band, and I have a wonderful singer who speaks first language is Spanish, and he's a retired MD. I, you'll appreciate that, Adam, and he plays the congas and sings, and he's teaching me a little Spanish. Well to sing along. It's my band, and I'm going to be doing some backup singing, and so I'm learning learning a little bit of Spanish lyrics to popular Latin music right now, but now I can say, if I run into somebody who deserves to have a hello. How are you in Japanese? Thank you very much, Adam. And Adam, by the way, your phone line Thank is sharp, sharp and clear right now, so I appreciate it. What a wonderful panel. This is the part of the show, after we find out who they are, which we've just done, I've asked my panelists in advance to send me a quote that has nothing to do with the topic, and to share in their own words here live on the radio, or if you called us a live podcast, how they picked the quote and what it has to do with our topic. So they're going to link it together. Naeem Zafara at Telesense has sent us a quote from Victor Hugo. I suspect it's one of his favorite quotes. Victor Hugo, in case you're You don't know or you never studied Hugo. Victor Marie Hugo was his name, 1802 to 1885. A French poet, novelist, and dramatist of the Romantic movement, considered one of the greatest and best-known French writers. And you've all heard of Les Mis. You've seen it in the movies, on Broadway. Les Misérables, 1862. He wrote that novel. And The Hunchback of Notre Dame, 1831. He wrote that. He's known for his poetry collections, Les Contemplations. There's my French kicking in, The Contemplations, and La Légende des Siecles, The Legend of the Ages. Here's the quote. There is nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. Naeem, please relate that to our topic. We're talking about AI is for humans today, so go ahead.
2: Well, it's uh, relevant uh, even more so. I mean, uh, this quote is applicable to many situations, but we've been talking about artificial intelligence from the 1950s and it's always been elusive, and what does it mean, and how do we use it? And there have been funny movies been made, which been... But finally, the compute power, the problems have finally all came together, then it is now being used, being useful, and has a tremendous potential going forward. Our lives have become so complicated because of technology, AI, in my mind, is the one, the panacea, which is going to help us simplify our lives, hmm. put technology to work rather than us driving the truck. truck will drive us. So I'm quite excited about the ta- AI's time has come, and there's nothing more powerful than an idea's time has come.
1: That's such an interesting comment, Naeem. Uh, I'm going to give you a little background here. About five, six years ago, we started another series here in Game Changers called The Future of Cars. And at the time, the gentleman at SAP who sponsored that series, Larry Stoley, was with us. Larry passed away very suddenly about two years later. And Larry used to say that the future of cars was that humans would be the cargo. Cars would drive us around. We would be the cargo. We wouldn't be the deciders of anything. We wouldn't be driving. We wouldn't be making decisions. We would be what they transport. And I think you just said that. So, Naeem, you just brought back a wonderful memory. We all love Larry and very sorry to lose us. Thank you. Wonderful quote. Love looking back at the Victor Hugo quote. Mashoud, I'm going around the table to you, and you've picked a quote from Albert Einstein. I don't think anybody is alive who doesn't know Albert Einstein. Well, you might not know, 1875 to 1955. German-born theoretical physicist, theory of relativity, one of the two modern pillars of modern physics alongside quantum mechanics. But everybody knows him for his crazy wild white hair and all of those pictures and his famous formula, E equals mc squared, which has been called the world's most famous equation. You might also not know that in 1921, he won the Nobel Prize in physics. So there, here's the quote. The important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. Mashoud, please tell us how you picked this quote.
3: Yes. um, I think in my line of work, um, it's absolutely critical to be asking basic questions. Um, If you look at the enterprise business today, a lot of the processes and experiences that have been built in, Uh, they have been in place for more than 20 years in many cases. Now, imagine if I were to ask you, hey, Bonnie, um, do you want to buy a new car? And if you're in the market for a new car, would you want to buy the latest model or the model which has been around for 20 years? Well, if you're not a vintage-class car uh, fanatic, then you would essentially buy a latest model car. Now, our processes have been established for 20 years. Why are we continuing to use that in enterprises? So the basic um, aspect and importance of curiosity is you should ask the questions, what are the assumptions that we are operating under? Have a beginner's mindset and ask those naive questions in terms of why are we doing what we are doing right now? And then kind of use the latest technologies, which includes machine learning and AI and NLP, to kind of automate that um, fully. So I think the importance of curiosity is more and more relevant now. Um, it really focuses on the questions. It will not be about purely technologies. It will be how technologies are used to solve problems. And the only way you can find problems is when you ask questions for the right users and right stakeholders, and then use technology to solve those problems. So that's why it has become more and more important in today's day and age. And then maybe one final comment in this um, era is, as we move into this, AI-driven economy, um, for humans to remain relevant, I think we have to find our inner creative um, geniuses. uh, And that essentially means asking questions again and again, even challenging assumptions that are in place. So I think that the importance of curiosity could never be understated.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. I love your perspective, Mahshoud. Thank you so much. Let's move around the table to Adam Mardini, who has picked a Chinese proverb. I think you picked one when you were on in 2018 as well. And let me just give a little background here. Everybody assumes they know what these are, but let's clarify. Chinese proverbs, also called Chinese idioms, are sayings that originate from famous Chinese philosophers and writers. Confucius, of course, is the best known to whom many of these proverbs are attributed. Hundreds of proverbs gives the reader an inspirational and motivational thought for the day And they address all aspects of traditional Chinese society, but Proverbs are typically still applicable to modern life. They talk about education, work, relationships, personal goals, and more. Here's one that I I know, Adam, has been around for ages and ages, and you can explain it for us. Do well and have well. Adam, how would you find this one? Very interesting.
4: Actually, this is really common in Japan. In Japan, where the society is built around... Quality, And quality is, is not just uh, a phenomenon that, that uh, the Japanese culture they live in. It's actually more like a religious thing that the people follow to the teeth. And they firmly believe in this, that you have to do everything well to the best of your ability and try to follow up on it and try to make it usable, friendly. And if you look into the technology that we're, we're having today's age, what, what separates the leaders, from the followers, it's how friendly, how easy, how simple it is. And and we have to look into how we can look into what the Chinese have, have, have found out maybe hundreds of years ago that making things well, then after that it will improve our lives. Maybe it's, this is the yin and yang, or maybe this is the karma. There are so many ways of uh, inter, uh, looking and, and this uh, uh, saying, but to me, it's all about quality, and and I love living here in Japan and seeing how people follow things uh, thoroughly and making things done or do do things well and, and follow them properly.
1: Very interesting, Adam. Where do you? May I ask where you originate from and what made you decide to move to Japan?
4: Well, I spent most of my life in Silicon Valley, and uh, mm-hmm. actually, I got uh, this opportunity to move to Japan. I was supposed originally to move to Singapore. But uh, the weather in Singapore, there's only two temperature settings. There is hot, and there is hot with rain. So <laughs> i was here to, to live in
2: the country sorry. where they really
4: have four seasons. So that's why I picked Japan. Plus, I, I spent previously six months in Japan in 2013, and I fell in love with the, with the, with the culture, with, with the city, and there's almost every uh, single kind of food in the world that you can find around the block. Uh, I heard that there's over 250 variety of international food in the city of Tokyo. And uh, it's amazing.
1: It it sounds like every day is an adventure there, Adam. Obviously, you made a very, very good choice. Thank you very much for sharing that. Speaking of choices, we're going to go around the table. It's February, but I think I can still ask the three of my wonderful panelists what you were drinking on New Year's Eve, or if you don't want to share that, or if you can't remember, which is possible, my goodness, Bonnie, is five weeks ago, just tell us what your favorite drink is. And I'm, I'm very interested because of all your, your varied backgrounds, what your favorite drink is. So this is the part of not just what's in your cup today, but what's your favorite drink that powers you, that fuels you, that relaxes you, that just makes you happy? Naeem Safar, what do you love to drink or what did you have New Year's Eve? on the verge of 2020.
2: Well, nothing is more delightful than a fresh, clean, crisp bottle of water. So that is a drink of all time, and you can't just go wrong with it. But on this particular New Year's Eve, I was uh, traveling from an overseas trip back visiting the family, and I found myself drinking some good quality hot chocolate.
1: Ooh, and now you can you can't get away with just saying good quality hot chocolate, Now you, I need to know. Was there a recipe? Did you buy it at a store? Did somebody make it for you? What was in that? Because no, I love hot chocolate. What um, was it?
2: This is a topic of uh, uh, some controversy, but I'm mm-hmm. in Paris. There are two places when the best hot chocolate could be gotten, Cafe D'Omago or Angelina's, and there's always a debate which one is better, so I had to try both.
1: Oh, my. And what did you decide? D'Omago. Okay, I'm tweeting. I'm tweeting, the best hot chocolate in the world, we asked Naeem. Okay, I'm putting that in. Thank you very much. Well, the show is Internet of Things with Game Changers, but we're talking about AI is for humans. Do you think you would ever use an AI algorithm, or could people use one to decide where they would find the best hot chocolate in the world?
2: Absolutely. It's coming. It may already be
1: here. Okay, thank you very much. Very interesting. And, And what did you like about that hot chocolate? Was it foamy? Was Did it have whipped cream in it? Was it made with extra high content, fat content, regular full milk? Uh, was it a special kind of Ghirardelli chocolate or Hershey's chocolate? Do you know what the chocolate was in it? What was so special?
2: So it is a high quality Belgian chocolate, which ah. absolutely melts in your mouth with cream at just the right temperature. The most important thing is right temperature and right viscosity. This is a topic of great interest, by the way. <laughs> I can get into I, I, the hot chocolate composition.
1: I'm fascinated. I'm absolutely fascinated. We might do that topic on my, my other show, Technology Revolution, The Future of Now. We might have to have a panel talking about the best hot chocolate in the world. That would be fun, the high-tech way to find the best hot chocolate in the world. Thank you, Naeem. You made my day. Well, you all made my day. Mashoud, let's go around the table to you. Favorite drink or what were you in search of on New Year's Eve? What was in your cup, your mug, your stein, your thermos, your glass, your flute? Talk to me.
3: Yeah, so on the New Year's Eve, I I don't think that I had a very memorable drink, uh, but I think right after that, we went to Thailand, and we were sitting on Patong Beach with my family, and that was the best drink because that was the freshly served coconut water inside the fresh coconut, uh, chilled, and then the weather was just perfect, and we were sitting on chairs on the beach under umbrella and uh, just enjoying the view that was awesome. And the best part was that it was with the family. So everybody was having a good time.
1: That sounds wonderful. That's delicious in itself, isn't it? Everybody having a good time over Absolutely. the holidays. Thank you very much. You I'm can't searching go
3: for... wrong with uh, natural, natural rings.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much. And Adam, can't wait to hear what you had. Where were you on New Year's Eve? And do you have a special exotic Japanese drink for us? Anything you want to share?
4: Absolutely. I, I was lucky to spend the, the holidays with uh, my family in uh, Silicon Valley, in Santa Clara to be exact. And uh, I brought some uh, famous Japanese uh, matcha tea with me. And the matcha is a green tea, but it's just, it has its own process of doing. And it's a it quite, I guess, a special a flavor. This is not your regular tea. This is not like oolong tea or the uh, Chinese tea or Indian tea. Each one has its own uh, flavor. But uh, in Japan, if you're in Japan, you absolutely, positively, you have to try the matcha and, and you will fall in love with it. Uh, the Japanese, they have uh, added different ways of doing this. So they do serve it hot and cold. They do add uh, whooping cream to the top of it. And mm. it's wonderful. Uh, the only thing is this is not a light drink, so if you're watching your diet, this is not the right drink uh, for you. And I do watch my weight, but unfortunately, I love much and I love uh, having this uh, three or four times a day. And it's loaded with calories as well as loaded with caffeine. But it's uh, all right; it's a living. Well-
1: sometimes you need to make a choice don't you you need to make those life choices and say what is important to me i just located a wonderful cup of hot chocolate image here and i'm posting it and the the tweet says uh naeem the tweet says the best hot chocolate in the world we asked naeem on and i give the link tune in to hear more and i'm i'm using everybody here and all of your links so thank you very much Very, very interesting. You know what? Uh, I'm trying to remember what I had on New Year's Eve. I was here alone uh, working, actually, and I watched the ball drop, and I watched some of the New Year's Eve shows, But I don't think I had anything too interesting to drink. Um, If I had my druthers, it would have been the world's best hot chocolate with a lot of fresh whipped cream on top. That's what I would have had. So let's just leave it at that. Gentlemen, I'm going to give you a break for 90 seconds. We call it the pause that refreshes. Not really, but that's a commercial. And we're going to regroup uh, to our listeners. We're having a lot of fun here, but it's a serious topic. The topic today is AI is for humans, part two. We covered this in 2018. We've invited back three very savvy, very charming, and engaging panelists, and they really know what they're talking about, Naeem Zafar, Mashoud Alam, and Adam Mardini, and I can pronounce all of your names pretty well. I'm going to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back, but I've been recently listening to NPR radio in the car, and I heard a... a, a, host of a show called, I think it's, uh, not in a minute, uh, Snap Judgment. I have to find out his name, but when he's ready to take a break, yes, he says to his listeners, stay. So that's how I'm going to end this segment of the show. Stay. We'll be right back. Aaron out.
0: The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented. By SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers.
1: Yes, indeed. Let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Very interesting conversation today talking about AI, that's artificial intelligence, is for humans. And I have three three extraordinary humans on the panel. Naeem Zafar, who's with Telesense, and he's also a, a professor, Mashoud Alam at SAP and Adam Mardini at SAP. We're going to start our roundtable, formal roundtable, right now. I'm looking at the notes Naeem sent me in advance. I'll read part of his statement, then I will ask him to briefly, in about two minutes, expand it. Expand it, tell us more. Then I will invite the other two panelists to chime in with their point of view, agree or disagree with Naeem. Then we'll pick a statement from Mahshoud and one from Adam, and the table will go round and round. So Naeem told me the following. AI is supposed to extract meaning from context and data. Humans learn that through experiences, peers, education, and thought. Naeem, please expand this. Tell us more.
2: So, you know, there's some Contro, not controversy, but confusion about what is uh, what is AI. And uh, the way I understand it, the way I define it, with, with that statement. See, when you're three year old, everything looks fascinating to you because you don't have the context yet. So yeah, red light, hey, running squirrel, exciting. When you're like 15 years old, then you have some context. You can ignore things which are irrelevant, and you can focus on things which are relevant. You are able to extract some meaning from that data. And as you get older, you know, sometime in your 30s and 40s, even that, that information becomes knowledge. Now you can connect the dots and able to repeat something. And some of us, when we get into our 50s, may even have wisdom, which could be extracted from that thought process, which connecting the dots, which comes from something profound. Humans do that naturally through education, through thinking, through interacting. Can we teach machines to think the same way? Mm -hmm. There's lots of data. Credit card transaction, you're traveling here and there, all the data about that. What's the meaning? In what context? What could we extract? And that has been the difficult part. Now, thanks to the computing becoming ubiquitous and inexpensive, lots of algorithms and APIs available, now it's much easier to stitch together all these pieces so machines can think that way. That is what's enabling the self-driving car. That's what's enabling about figuring out what Amazon tells you based on what you bought. You may also enjoy the following books. That is now connecting the dots. So this is a fascinating way to see how humans and babies learn. Now machines are like babies and are learning to become more intelligent. Same process that we, you and I followed.
1: Very interesting. Thank you very much. Let's get Mashoud alum in here. Mashoud, agree or disagree? What would you like to add to what Naeem just introduced?
3: No, I agree that I think the promise of AI is as such to replicate um, how humans actually learn and gain knowledge and wisdom at the end. Um, However, I think there is a caveat, and we have to be watchful about the, the amount of what kind of data that we feed the AI algorithms. Mm -hmm. And that determines in terms of what kind of patterns the AI, essentially, if you look at a child's brain, a child born in China, in a Mandarin-speaking household will learn Mandarin uh, without any formal education, just by observing and capturing the data, the context. Um, And a child born in Silicon Valley to English-speaking family will learn Chinese. So that's Essentially, what kind of data are we feeding to the AI algorithm matters a lot in terms of what kind of patterns and knowledge they can derive. So, if it is skewed towards a particular dimension, and we can talk about that subsequently, then it might just be thinking in that direction. Um, and, and more and more, uh, there is a risk that uh, these algorithms will isolate our choices uh, based on our past experiences mm-hmm. only. So the opportunity for serendipitous um, experiences might be even further reduced. So I think we have to be a little careful as we move forward in rolling out these AI algorithms.
1: I think we have to be very careful. Thank you very much for that cautionary tale. Adam Mardini, join us, please. Thoughts on what we've been discussing?
4: I absolutely, I agree with uh, Nain that uh, this is, this is uh, it, it's phenomenal that, that how much, Learning a machine can, can do and how much benefit it can provide. And actually, this is one of the topics that I shared with you how Google, the Alpha Zero system that they have built with zero knowledge, they, this system that they have built, it just knows how a chest pieces can move. And in about nine hours, it went over 44 million games. And after that, it beat, not just beat, actually, it crushed the system best, the number one software in, in, in chess called uh, Stockfish, and it was an amazing game. So if, if, if any of the listeners is a chess player, he knows what I'm talking about. And the Google system, it achieved this phenomenal success just by AI it learn the behavior, it learned the pattern, it learned the probability of doing the following move after the first move that you have taken. And it's taking all those patterns into calculation. So based on any move that you make, there is a possibility of limited number of moves that you can take. And based on those there's another possibility of moves. I know that there's limitless number of, of possibilities, but to learn all of those in about nine hours and to beat the system uh, uh, number one application is, is something amazing. And all of that is is AI. Now, the applications of AI are limitless, and you're going to see those in everywhere you turn. And you've probably already seen those in the devices that that you're using and, and, uh, and everywhere in e-commerce.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting around the table. Name anything you want to add to what your colleagues on the panel just shared before I move on?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I want to push back on what Mashoud was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, a child growing up in a one kind of a household will develop certain traits and tricks and in a bad situation will develop, you know, you could be a criminal. So mm-hmm. machines are no different. So at this point that Data matters. Yeah, data matters for humans too. You put the same kid in one kind of a household and he may become a totally different person than if he was in a different kind of household. So no different. Just like machines will have the same thing. What? How did the algorithm grow up? What data was fed will make it a great mind or a criminal. So analogy still applies.
1: Thank you very much. Good conversation. Yeah. Uh, anybody else? I heard somebody. Go ahead.
3: No, yes? I think I, I agree. I think with, with Naeem. Um, okay. And I think just want to add to what yeah. Adam mentioned about um, there's um, another example where AlphaGo from Google, actually, uh, mm-hmm. it was not even taught to play the strategy game, Go. And it played just with each other and then it learned within four hours um, and beat the best player in the world um, on uh, on Go. And using a strategy which humans had never even used. So I think there is potential that AI will... Uh, find out better way of solving problems than humans have ever done.
1: Thank you. And that's a perfect segue into what I want to read next. Mashud. I'm looking at your notes, and I'm looking at statement number four you sent me. I think this is a good time to do this. You say, AI is not without risks. Why? It could amplify biases of the past and make masses redundant as more and more mundane tasks become automated, which is part of the reason for AI to reduce the drudgery where humans have to go through. People who are impacted will need to adapt to a new reality. That's, as they say on the news, Mashoud, would you please unpack this for us? You've got a lot of information here. So what does this all mean to us?
3: Yeah, so here, um, what I would I tried to use the quote from Yuval Harari from his book, 21 Lessons for 21st Century. And one profound statement he made was, throughout history, humans fought against exploitation. In future, we'll have to fight against irrelevance. And what this quote is about is the increasing fast pace of technological disruption, which is caused primarily by AI, is replacing, taking over more and more tasks from humans, and which is good in a way that um, throughout history, and we are always looking at finding better ways um, and automating some of the tasks that are redundant, like driving a car, um, even picking the the fields um, for agriculture, or many kind of mundane tasks we would rather not do. But it's taking over those tasks uh, in more faster ways so that, We may may see um, a huge social impact across the world as more and more tasks actually are automated through AI. Because AI, we have to admit that AI will be able to do that particular task much better than any particular humans can do because it's learning from millions of um, humans doing the same task. And you cannot just and and gaining the uh, the knowledge and and being able to apply that in the best possible manner. So we will never be able to outcompete what AI is able to do in those aspects. So uh, for individual level, we all have to look out for um, our what, whatever jobs we are doing, whatever repetitive work there is. It's at some point going to be replaced by AI. So how can we? update ourselves and continuously learn, relearn, and unlearn um, to stay relevant uh, going forward in the future. So that's the kind of uh, quote that I wanted
1: to share as well. Thank you. Very important. Adam Mardini, you're sitting next to Mashoud around the table, even though you can't quite see that. Can you please open up and tell us what you think about what he just said? Very interesting.
4: Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I fully agree with him, and I would like to add also my two cents here that uh, the human touch is something that we cannot ignore. So, for example, there are many aspects in the medical field that can be replicated by a machine from, from simple uh, nursing tasks of getting the temperature, getting blood pressure, and so forth, this all can be automated and the outcome can can also have ai into it to to manage the the behavior of, of the requirements uh, adoption by the physician but the human touch angle this is something that we have to have and and this is something that we cannot neglect uh, are you going to go to a complete medical uh, facilities that's run by machines and would you trust having a surgery done by a machine, even though that this is better than the best surgeon in the world. Definitely, I would never go that direction, although I'm married to a doctor, and my son is a doctor as well. Mm
2: -hmm. So,
4: this is something that uh, the human touch still needs to exist. Uh, Another example is, I know that that we're having uh, driverless cars, but what about driverless planes? Would you fly in one? So... (laughs) (laughs) I no <laughs> no to, to where, <laughs> absolutely there are some limits where where i believe that this is we have to hit the brakes on this and we can say that uh, yes this is great and and i uh, i would like to congratulate the team from berkeley i just uh, heard just a few days ago they uh, got their patent approved by the fda for uh, for a heart monitor, monitoring device that can be attached to a standard systolic and it can detect Uh, any arrhythmia problems and that's amazing it it has uh, AI built into it Uh, but this is something that cannot replace a physician right?
1: Absolutely Uh, there's so much happening especially in medicine I know you and I have talked about, about your son where is he by the way what is he doing just quickly?
4: Uh, he's doing very well. He's still working at the same company, and uh, thank God that uh, he is not thinking about flying to China to do oh. Doctors without borders. I, I heard there was a team heading over there, so oh my. I don't know. I'll leave it up to him.
1: Oh, my. Yes, yes. Safety first. Thank you very much. Naeem, let's go around the table to you. A lot of interesting topics here we're talking about. So what do you think about the risks of AI, everything we've been talking about? Naeem, join us, please.
2: So, you know, I, I put things in three buckets for simplicity. The things where I will help, which is a repetitive task, which can reduce injuries, which, which you talked about. But the second aspect is, 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 what I want to focus on is knowledge capture. So today, there, I was surprised to hear this number, but mm-hmm. how many articles, medically peer-reviewed articles are published every day? And I couldn't believe the number. I had to check it twice. 20,000, there's no way any human, any doctor is reading all those articles. So if, but computers are, and IBM Watson being one example, read all 4 million articles. So when we have that ability that we can look at some symptoms and we can propose what tests should be done, what uh, what could be the possible cause, and you can take that to remote possible places in the world, that is big deal. Today, if you're a top-notch doctor, you're living in one of the metropolitan area, enjoying a good life. What about people living in remote Xinjiang province of China or some other remote part of Pakistan or India? They're not going to get the best doctors. With AI, they can because and the regular doctor ass- assisted with a, a medical agent based on artificial intelligence is exactly the panacea. So I see a great human-centric approach where AI will be used for these kind of tasks. AI is not replacing humans. So humans still have empathy. Computers don't. So there will be certain jobs, we'll talk about that hopefully in a few minutes, that some jobs when empathy is involved will be on the rise. Some job which is on mechanical, repetitive, like accounting, will be given to AI. So we can see the labor force changing in the next 20 years in a big way. And, uh, but it's about knowledge capture and reuse of knowledge where AI is at its best.
1: Thank you very much. I have a little factoid for you. Uh, I just looked up. It says, uh, rapidly increase in volume representing the most explosive field of journal publications worldwide. Here we go. New medical articles. Are you ready for this? Are appearing at a rate of at least one every 26 seconds. And if a physician were to read every medical journal published, they would need to read Five thousand articles a day. Oh my wow. oh my oh my. This is what you were talking about, right, Naeem?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so the artificial intelligence is at best. This is what we're talking about. Yep. People don't appreciate how critical it is for survival.
1: Oh my goodness, this is just this is unbelievable. Never even thought about it. It yeah. So the knowledge base is there, but how can you find it? How can you consume it? How can you understand it? How can you apply it? AI to the yeah. rescue. Thank you very much. Fascinating. I'm going to move on to a statement here. We have, oh, about 10 minutes left to the whole show, but I think we can squeeze in one more. And uh, gentlemen, if we have that much more to discuss, we might have to do a part three on this topic. I think that'd be great. You could talk to Dana and Marsha about a part three this year. So, Adam, you said the visual search engine is one of the most exciting trends of AI in e-commerce. It is AI-driven technology that enables users to discover what they want with just a single click. Why don't you tell us a little more about that, please? Adam Mardini?
4: Uh, right now, if, uh, if you go to any uh, e-commerce uh, site, uh, take, for example, the number one, the leading, Amazon or Walmart or Target, or one of those, and you want to search for something odd, a cable for your mobile device. Uh, you type the mobile device name, the cable type, blah, 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 and get a few selections. It is, it is simple, but what about if it's something a little bit uh, different? What about if I'm searching for a shirt that has a specific pattern that I've seen somebody wearing, and I really like that shirt, and I happen to have a snap picture of that shirt?
1: Mm-hmm. How
4: would I be able to search for something like this? So the world of visual search... This has a lot of AI built behind it. And I know that some companies, they have experimented with this, including Google. But the e-commerce application of this is, is phenomenally amazing. Because I can search for, for a piece of clothes. I can search for a backpack. I can search for a car component. I can go to my car, snap a picture of, of the car that I want, put it in there, and boom. I can find where this is. How does this uh, uh, get, uh, get installed into the car. Uh, what are the brands available? What are the problems available? And get the full broad range of history on this. This application is just into the beginning steps, and you're going to see a lot of changes into that arena. And uh, it, it has a great application for, for the human. So imagine, if, if you will, a physician that's that, uh, having some kind of problem with some tests. And he can take a picture of, uh, of uh, the virus or, or whatever that is and put it into the engine. The engine is going to search millions or hundreds of, of millions, billions of different uh, scenarios and come back to you with results. So the applications that can come out of this are amazing. And skies are the limit with this one. And I know the entire community of the AI, they're looking at this with uh, big anticipation
1: absolutely fascinating uh let's go around the table naeem just very briefly i'm ready for crystal ball predictions on this topic but naeem why don't you give us a 60 second comment back to what adam just shared then mashud and then we'll quickly go around for predictions go ahead naeem yeah the visual
2: search is extremely interesting but which shirt i want to buy is a cute problem but the real problem is uh, when many uh, in China, for example, the police officers are wearing a set of uh, eyeglasses and they have small cameras attached to them, they're looking for anybody who looks who's on the list of to be suspicious and to be flagged or caught. So it raises a whole bunch of privacy issues, too, because this is a great technology, but you can use it. I mean, I love to have on my LinkedIn connected to my visual search when I look at somebody, it automatically tells me what is the name of this person, where does he work, while shaking hands with that person. There are many, many interesting applications. I love the idea of visual search, but it raises a bunch
3: of issues.
1: It absolutely does. Mashoud Alam. quickly 60 seconds, what's your comment? Back to Adam and or Naeem. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I agree with both um, Adam as well as the warnings by Naeem. Um, And just I'd like to add that there's a lot of applications on the enterprise side or visual search. For example, there is Currently, a, um, a very drudgery of tasks that you get the invoices in PDF forms, and then there is are person sitting or they are looking at the invoice and matching to the incoming payments and updating the system. That's where um, we are seeing um, applications which are automatically scanning those um, invoices through visual search and OCR, um, optical character recognition. And then identifying who is the supplier, who is the, what was the item, what is the amount, and automatically updating the system. Um, so there are plenty of um, enterprise applications uh, which will bring a, a phenomenal level of efficiency as well using uh, image-based search.
1: Thank you very much. Gentlemen, we have four minutes left till I have to close. That's just enough time for a 60-second prediction. I think we've been giving predictions all along. But Naeem, do you have one really 60-second wow prediction on this topic, AI is for humans, what we might see between now and 2025? Go ahead.
2: So the third generation of how to access the Internet is voice, Cortana, Alexa, and, and, and Siri. But it's really about to get very, very interesting thanks to AI. I should be able to say, Siri, make appointment for the friends I have not seen for two months in a restaurant costing less than forty dollars. That's a complicated command. Siri has to find out who are my friends based on the interaction, which when was the last time I saw them? When are the schedules open? Which restaurant can take reservation for six or eight? And what is the price of things will be? We are getting very, very close to this complex thing. This will be exciting in the enterprise. This will be exciting in our lives. That's simplifying our lives. Can't wait for that.
1: Thank you very much. Great to look forward to. Adam, 60 seconds, what you got? Uh,
4: I I have to go through to the topic that I mentioned to you previously, which is the 5G. Uh, This is a huge game changer that uh, we will see massive amount of applications of the AI that had been embedded into the 5G and also utilizing the, the 5G technology. So wait until this is in full swing and you'll mm-hmm. be able to see amazing services from the cars, from planes, from devices that we use day in and day out. Everything that that utilizes 5G and IoT, it's a total game changer. And this is going to happen the next uh, two or three years.
1: Thank you very much. Mashud. forgive me. Did I skip you on the predictions? Yes, you did. Go ahead. I, I was looking, I was tweeting at the same time, forgive me, I'm a I'm a multitasker, and I said, wait a minute, I went right to Adam, but Mishud's probably thinking, she forgot all about me. I did not. Masood. you can have 90 seconds for your prediction. I'm making it up to you. Go ahead, Mishud Alam. Um.
3: Well, thanks a lot for being so generous, <laughs> Bonnie. Um, so I think my <laughs> predictions are um, around the efficiency gains um, in the enterprise area. So enterprises are sitting on tons of data in their enterprise systems. There is massive amount of data being generated outside the enterprises as well. However the, however, the systems and algorithms are advanced enough to take advantage of that. So within a very short while, we'll be seeing an unprecedented amount of value unlocking in the enterprising enterprise systems through AI. And that essentially uh, automating a lot of the stuff. And then the other part in enterprise is the capturing of institutional knowledge. Today, expert um, users in enterprises who have 20-plus years experience in particular domain are making amazing decisions. However, when these guys are retiring or moving on, um, the uh, young guys who are uh, replacing their place, they have to take, in some cases, two to three years to get up to the same level of decision-making. What AI systems are doing is capturing the institutional knowledge resident in the heads of those expert, um, experienced um, employees and then making the decision similar level of uh, um, uh, accuracy for the newcomers as well. So these are the two important um, advancements that we will see very shortly in enterprises.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting. Thank you to the three of you. It's been a real pleasure reuniting with you, and I hope you'll come back. You have to tell Dana Corder and Marsha Melanowski that we want you to come back and do more of this great topic. I'm going to say a shout out to, of course, as the people I just mentioned, uh, Dana Corder, great work. This is my second year working with you on this series, and you're terrific. Marsha Melanowski. welcome to the team. Ira Burke, thank you for sponsoring season seven of this fabulous series, which is still one of our most popular in the Universe, and Aaron Keller, our engineer at voiceamerica.com, the engineer with the nerves of steel. That's right. Thank you to my three panelists, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Something's never changed. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Naeem Zafar, just like Mashoud Alam, and just like Adam Mardini. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Game Changers Radio. Go out and make a difference. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning
0: in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO.